Welcome back to Speaking Kid. I'm your host, Nick Siegel. And every week, I'm joined by guests to discuss parenting, early childhood education, and our own experiences parenting. So I am thrilled today to continue the next episode of Speaking Kid. And today I've got a wonderful guest. Joe Riggelhan is a director of Play Mountain Place and has been really an integral part of our family with our three-year-old daughter, Lily, and really a guiding light in, in all the work that you do. And so please uh, share with us, introduce yourself. Okay, so um, I've spent my entire adult life mentoring and parenting children. I started out, I'd say, with my nephew at 14, and my brother was in the military, so I spent a lot of time with him, and then became a big brother when I was 18, was a scout leader in my 20s, was a teacher at Play Mountain for five years in my late 20s, early 30s, then was a social worker in LA school districts working with kids, and um, really love working with kids with their parents. Um, And now I'm back at Play Mountain, and um, I think my favorite part of working with parents especially is when they feel like they're not at their best, right? Um, Because it's easy to talk with parents when they're telling you how wonderful their children are and stuff. I love talking with them when they're telling me about how they're upset that they feel like they screwed up, you know, because... First of all, we're all per- we're all in he- we're all human and imperfect. I was trying to get that together, um, and we're all screwing up. I screw up, and um, it, it's just great to be able to work with people when when they're in that space and make them realize that it's going to be okay. Yeah. I, I, so what I'd love to do, you and I offline were talking about a story, and uh, your daughter Alex is now. 21. 21. Right. Uh, but she always wasn't 21. No. Right. <laughs> and so, and we as parents, uh, as our kids get older, it's it's amazing how they can tend to uh, frustrate us. And in turn, we frustrate them, right? So uh, I would love it if you'd share the, uh, a story. Uh, you've got a couple of them. And, and let's use that as a springboard in terms of dealing with the frustrations of parenthood. Yeah. Well, since I just said that, I like dealing with people when they're not at their best. Why don't I tell you one of the times that I wasn't at my best, right? So I had this boy, Abraham, who I always say adopted me, that uh, he was about 10 years old at one of the schools that I was working at. And I swear he just kind of decided I was going to be his dad. And so, you know, it started out just coming to my office all the time. When he went to middle school, he kept coming back. And so I ended up being like a big brother to him. And then at one point he was like pretty much living with us. And so we were home one day and, you know, he was probably 14 by this time and he wanted to back the car out of the driveway. And I said, sure. And so as he's backing out, I'm watching him and the way he's going, I can see he's going to hit the neighbor's fence. And so I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm waving to him and I'm waving, stop, 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 stop. And no, he doesn't stop. Wham, right into the fence. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck, right? (laughs) I'm pissed. And I'm like, so um, I walk out and I try to get him to roll down the window. He won't roll down the window. I think he could tell that I was a little upset. So I finally, I just open up the door and I go, what the fuck were you thinking, you fucking moron? And I walk to the back of the car and I see the dent in the bumper and I see the little dent on the fence. And I'm thinking, why am I getting so upset? It's a car and it's a fence. It's, you know, whatever. I'm more worried about like, 
what I'm going to have to deal with the, with the neighbor, what I'm going to have to deal with with my partner and, and stuff. And so, but I, I get myself centered and I go back into the house and, and he's just sobbing, right? And, and I said, you know what? I'm sorry, Abraham. Nobody should say that to anybody, much less a father to his son. And then it started for me, his reaction was just a barrage of, you know, cursing at me, yelling at me, you, you, know, you know, screw you, I don't like you, I want out of here, and all, all this kind of stuff. And at that point, I knew I was now centered because I realized, okay, this is stupid that I'm getting so upset about it. And I just listened and listened for about 30 minutes of him just raking me over the coals. And, you know, because I was now centered, I realized, look, this is just, he's got to do this to get past it, just like I guess I needed to lash out at him to get past my like, oh my God, what is my partner going to say? What is my neighbor going to say? Um, and and I love this because he and I had this joking relationship when we was all calmed down. He said, you know, can we go rent a movie at Blockbuster? <laughs> That's how long ago it was. And uh, we get in the car and we're driving there and I said, you feeling okay now? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you feel you're, you've all calmed down and everything? He goes, yeah. And I said, so can I just ask you something? And he says, yeah. And I go, the fuck were you thinking you fucking moron <laughs> and he just busted off laughing you are you're scandalous right and um you know and what i like to tell about that story too is um that's probably one of two or three times where i really lost it with him and you know he's 38 now and whenever he senses that I'm either disappointed in him or that I'm upset with him or whatever, he always will throw at me. Oh, yeah, but what do I know? I'm just a fucking moron, right? And, and, and I was talking with another parent about that kind of thing with her son. And she says, you know, how many times do I have to apologize for this? And I said, every time he brings it up. And that's really really the crux of it you have to apologize every time you bring it up who knows how long it'll take for him to process this or that woman's child to process this but when there's that upset you know there's probably you you resolve some of it and then there's some of it still inside that gets triggered yeah and and, and what comes present for me is this idea that okay if i have to keep apologizing is there a guilt that I need to feel associated with it? And, and I'm hoping that's not the case. Yeah. That, you know, the, the spirit of the apology is just, I'm apologizing to honor you. And whatever's going on inside of me, hopefully I've worked through that myself. Because frustrations bring out so often the worst in us, you know, and we don't want to behave that way. We don't want to act that way. We don't want what the residual effects that a frustration create. But when we love our kid and we love that 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 relationship that listen we're in close proximity with each other we get frustrated you know yeah. and so i want to know how did you work through how did you come present so quickly in the midst of the cars now you know we, we got a dent we got an issue we got neighbors we got your partner we got all these things going how do you come present so quickly to work through that yeah let me first say that i think you know as Hopefully, when you're apologizing, the apology is sincere, yeah. that you really do wish you had not handled things that way, right? Because if it's not sincere, a three-year-old will know you're not being sincere, right? And certainly, a, a teenager and an adult will know you're not really sincere when you're apologizing. So, it's important that the apolog apology is sincere. And I really felt sincerely disappointed in myself that I said that, right? You know, that I would call any child that, right? I, especially somebody who like him who was so um, attached to my view of him, right? So I think that's 
really important. You know, for me, I I know kind of how I got to being able to stay so calm and regulate so quickly, but, um, you know, I grew up in a really violent household. My um, When I was seven, eight, nine, I remember my older brothers and my dad, you know, there were three of them and my dad, four, that at one point or another during the week, somebody was out there beating the crap out of each other. And I remember being in my bed, lying awake in my bed and thinking, um, you know, just don't let them come in and hurt me. So as a result, um, I became really afraid of conflict. And, you know, the way I dealt with the fear of confrontation and conflict was I became humorous. You know, I, I knew how to make everybody in the room laugh. I, uh, I knew how to sense when somebody was getting angry and keep them on my side. And even I, you know, 10, 12, 14 years old, I was learning how to deescalate. And, um, you know, how I did it, I don't know, but I learned to deescalate by staying calm and pretending I wasn't scared shitless in the moment, right? And then I, when I got to Play Mountain, which is this place where they, you know, it's a school and they really allow children to express the full extent of their emotions. After about three months, I realized that, oh, I can do everything I've been doing since I was a kid from a place of fear. I can do that same thing from a place of strength. Just because you're angry at me, doesn't mean I have to be afraid and doesn't mean I have to respond to your anger. I can let the anger stay with you and really help you um, get in touch with and resolve that anger. So um, I, I would imagine that had something to do with how in that moment and how in most moments with, especially with younger kids, it, it might be different if it had been an adult, right? It, but I see my role has always been as an adult, like a mentor and I'm supposed to, and I'm wanting to teach and guide and model. So I think that was part of it in that moment that I wanted to just, I quickly recognized in the grand scheme of things, this dent in the bumper, the fence, neighbor's fence, and my partner being upset about the dent in the bumper were not as important as my relationship with this child that I'm trying to raise and mentor and guide. Yeah, I, I think the faster we can understand what the priority in the moment is, you know, yeah. I, for myself, you know, I, I've got a 31-year-old and a 26-year-old, plus Lily, you know, mm -hmm. right? So I, I have a whole nother experience with my older kids, and I remember just getting, oh, my God, I lost yeah. my absolute cool with my daughter, mm -hmm. and I was livid, and uh, she ran out of the house and was cowering up at the top of the lawn and I went and I found her and and now I was pissed that she'd run away, right? right? So now I've just escalated this thing even further. Yeah. And here I am looking down at my daughter who's cowering and scared and crying and I'm still yelling. And I'm going, I can't stop myself in this moment. Yeah. And I and I lost all sense of perspective. You see, what you got was perspective in real time and I couldn't get there. And I think about that to this day and I go, oh, I, I want to just hug her and apologize, you know, in this moment. And from that perspective, as many times as she wants to bring that up with me, I will hug her and apologize. I am so sorry. I don't know what came over. I, I can't even explain it. Um, and so as we, I don't know, it's one of those things that I just live with, you know. But yeah, and you want to hug her and apologize every single time because you genuinely wish that that um, we'll call it a trauma, that that experience that she had 
um, that she didn't have to carry that around for all this time, right? You know, if she's bringing it up, if Abraham's bringing it up at 38, he's still carrying that inside, that no matter how good our relationship is, there's that little seed in the back that maybe he really does think I'm a fucking moron, right? So yeah, I have to constantly repair that, you know? And I think that's one of the other things that's really important to remember as a parent is that, like I, like I said, we're all gonna screw up. We can also all go back and repair, right? You can go back and sit down and say, you know, I, I really wish I hadn't said that, you know, that a father shouldn't say that to a son. I, you know, a father shouldn't say that to a daughter or behave that way and I just lost my cool. And, and I think part of what that does for the child is it allows them to make mistakes too. When, when that's genuine and you do that repair work and then you just, you know, you say you're apologized and then you take everything they have to throw at you, right? And, and um, you know, I hate you, I never loved you, um, you love so-and-so better, um, all, whatever it is that they wanna throw at you, that you just have to take it and listen and know that all that is, is just all that hurt and, um, fear and stuff that came out from that moment when you lost it is that that's what they're throwing at you anything they can think of and some of it may have nothing to do with you they're throwing out anything they can you know like i had this hurt from school but i'll pretend it's about you and say well you did whatever um but they're just kind of discharging all that hurt that's built up from that incident and and just like with, you know, for me, when we started talking about this, I got thinking about grief, just like grief. You don't cry at the funeral and then suddenly all the feelings of grief are over, you know? Um, you know, I can talk about periods of grief right now that happened 50 years ago and be right back in the middle of that intense emotion again. We still carry around parts of it. Um, and it becomes, it, in a beautiful way though, it becomes part of who we are and part of our story, you know, and part of, you know, because we all have, um, blemishes and and beautiful parts and stuff and we only only want the world to see the beautiful parts but you know the blemishes are really kind of beautiful too it's what makes us unique as human beings so i really think that concept of repair work going back and talking over and over again and and really looking at yourself and going yeah i wish i hadn't done that the other wonderful thing about the repair work is is if you can get it together to go and say you know when I said this and this and this, I was really scared and really angry and it had nothing to do with you. And I'm really n sorry that I responded that way. When you do that, to me, what happens is it feels so crappy inside that I think your brain is going, I don't ever want to feel that again, right? And so the next time that stuff starts to stir up, your brain's going, watch it, watch it. You're going to do that thing again. And it helps kind of create that kind of, I don't want to say that. I, that's the line I'm not going to cross. That's it. And it, that's, I think, part of maybe for me in my life is what helps you regulate sooner is that you realize I'm remembering what happened the last time. I don't want to go there again. Um, and, and you're able to do that because you took full ownership of what had happened and you really felt and heard the pain of what happened the last time you lost your cool. Yeah, I, I think that ownership piece is such an, an integral part of the whole thing, right? Can I be honest enough with myself yeah. to realize that and, and give myself permission to be a human being? Yeah. And I think that I know that with my, with my older kids, my first... I had an impression or I have a pre I had a preconceived notion of how I thought I should be yeah. as a parent as opposed to who I was as a human being and I didn't give myself permission to be that human being I I carried f forward what I I saw my parents doing and how how they dealt with it and I thought well that's how you do it 
and it's there was no sense of personalization with it yeah. and golly with with lily it's just uh there's so many times i want to I'll think about the past and go, okay, I got to fix that. I, I want to go back right. and repair that. Yeah. I want to love them up that way. But what the beauty of it is, is in that ownership, I'm giving myself the opportunity to really, I, there's a part of me that, that's loving myself in that yeah. too. Forgiving and, yourself. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. tough. That's tough yeah. at times. You know, when you were asking earlier too, again, how do you, how do you self-regulate in the moment? I think um, one of my favorite quotes from, um, Virginia Satir, really famous family therapist, and she was a social worker. And she said, everybody's doing the best they can at every given moment. And when they can do better, they will. And it's just that kind of like, how can I help you do better, right? And so I constantly have that in my head, you know, that whatever, especially if it's coming at me, like this person that's mad at me, this person that's disappointed in me, upset with me, whatever, they're doing the best they can. And they may not be talking to me in the way that I wanna be talked to. They may not be, maybe they're not being respectful or all that stuff, but they're doing the best they can right now. And my job, you know, as a human is to not necessarily take all those accusations they may be throwing my way on and let them kind of just go go past my ears and focus in on what's going on emotionally. Because, um, especially as a parent, especially for young children and teenagers, you know, nine times out of 10, whether kids are mad at you about a rule or something, or you've said no or something like that, nine times out of 10, they don't want you to change your mind. What they want is they wanna be seen and heard and understood and accepted. And just, they wanna be able to vent that they don't like the rule. They don't like the no, they don't like, they don't necessarily want you to change it. They just wanna be able to have their feelings about it. <laughs> It's it's kind of a, a, a funny subject, but I mean, I I can think of times where I've told my kids no, and um, later on they've said, you know, thanks, or you know, I'm really glad that you're my papa. <laughs> you know, um, I said that with Alex one time when she wanted to watch this movie, and I'm like, no, it's not for nine year olds, right? And and um, all her friends had seen it already, and and you know, and I said, you know what, Alex, that movie is rated R. It's for kids 17 and older. You have your whole life to be 17. Just be nine. And you know, and I had told her too that it's. I feel like it's my job to make sure that you're exposed to things when you're ready. And and it was about an hour later, she just came up and hugged me and she said, I'm so glad you're my papa. And and it is, they, they don't necessarily want you to change their mind. Mm, I, I love that perspective. And it's, the emotion is just the emotion. The feelings are just feelings, right? Yep. We were talking before we got started yep. here, this idea of, you know, do we get sucked into someone else's emotion to let this throw us out of balance yeah. with our emotions? And God only knows so many times I have allowed someone else's upset to cause me upset. And then we're both out of balance. Then we're both screwed up. <laughs> we're not yeah. getting any closer to what's really the root of it, which is that connection of, of, of our, our loving with each other. And uh, how do you deal with that? I, I, I struggle with that. You know, to this day, I mean, the idea of being triggered by somebody else's yeah. emotion. How do we yeah. stay? How do we stay in um, balance? You know, it's it's. I don't know what the secret is, and I'm not sure there is a secret. Um, 
you know, again, for me, I'm always focused on what's my relationship with this person. It's a lot easier, you know, and I think this is what we see when you see all these like rage videos. It's it's a lot easier to go off on the person at Starbucks because, you know, <laughs> they gave you a tall instead of a venti or whatever the heck those names are, right? You know, because you don't have a relationship with them and you're not looking to have a relationship with them. You have to work harder when it's your child, when it's your spouse, when it's your your friends. You have to work harder on recognizing um, that what's coming at you is valid. It's their feelings, but that their feelings don't have anything to do with you, right? Those are just their feelings. You know that. Um, you know, I, one of a therapist that I used to go to would say things like, um, you know, the feeling in the moment is the feeling. But all that charge on that feeling comes from someplace else. Mm. And so, you know, when I would work with her, she would always say, okay, so there's that problem where your child said this and this and you got really, you know, banged the car and you got really triggered by it and all that stuff. But the charge on it came from somewhere else. So really get in touch with that feeling in that moment. And now think of a time when that happened previous in your life and let's talk about that, right? And, you know, and so that's kind of... um, for me, I think another way that I kind of separate things out, I, you know, I, you have to recognize, but you have to put value in the present relationship right in front of you. If you really care about this person, you know, you've got to be constantly thinking about like, what are, what are the, um, what do you call the, the red lines? What is the line I'm not going to cross, you know? And, and then if you're not going to cross that line, if you're not going to let your anger go there, then what do I do, right? Um, and I do think there is a lot of value is when somebody else is really ang- angry at you, is you have to kind of figure out a way to, to keep yourself calm and tell yourself that the, these are just feelings of the other person. They're, they're not really your responsibility in the sense that you you created these feelings in that person. Like I was just saying that charge that they're feeling right now is coming from somewhere else that had nothing to do with me. There's this problem in the moment. You know, I've got to ignore that um, that charge that's coming from their past and kind of stay present because this person I'm talking with is important to me. You know, and it, it, I think it's just a practice. Um, it's a practice of, you know, trying to do it, failing, um, looking at the failure, you know, um, you know, figuring out for yourself what happened for you in that moment. What, what was it about what was going on that triggered you so much? And then deal with that stuff on your own and then go back and do that repair work with that person. Um, you don't necessarily have to tell them, I was triggered because when I was 12, this, you know, whatever. But you can, you can um, go back and say, I definitely don't feel good about the way I responded. Yeah, it's really intentional, you know, how we... I'll, I'll speak for myself. I look at both Laura, my wife, and Lily, or or my older kids. It's what is the relationship that I want to have? What and, and that starts with inside of me, right? right? What is the peace that I? What is the expression of loving that I want to put forth? Do I want to be? Um, and it, but it, with what I've found over time is it's much more acceptance. You know, my older kids are going to do it. They're adults now, yeah. at thirty one and, and and twenty six. They're going to do what they do. Right, and the more I have found that I say, "Hey, you have you considered this? Or you want to do this? Don't you think you should be doing this now?" And like the clock's ticking, and da 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 da, they just run away. They just say, "You know what? I'm an adult. I yeah. can do what I want. I, Dad, love you. Don't need to hear what you have to say." And it's like that's true. Yeah. But then what I've come to realize is 
that's no longer my responsibility, Yeah, how they live their lives. And w- the relationship has gotten so much more dynamic with my older kids because one, I accept them where they are. And two, I've really been very clear in my communications with them. I'm here when you need me. Mm-hmm. And if you pick up the phone and call me, I'm going to be there, but I don't think I'm going to be picking up the phone as much anymore and calling you to say, hey, let's engage. Let's be in, if, if you don't want to engage, that's okay. Uh, I'm going to love you when I'm just thinking about you, and yeah. I'll send you that love. Yeah. We may not be in direct communication, but that loving is still present, you know? Yeah, yeah and, you know, I think it also kind of goes back to, you know, what you were just talking about is that idea of, you know, what does how our kids are behaving say about me as a parent or say about me as a human being, right? And trying to let go of that stuff, right? Is it's not an easy thing, especially like when they're four years old acting out in a store or they're seven years old and using foul language or they're 14 years old and experimenting with things you wish they wouldn't experiment with or, you know, 21 years old and, you know, struggling in college, you know, did I, did I screw up? Did I, did I not plant enough seeds, you know, just trusting that you've done a good enough job for them to be able to make it in the world um, and that they'll come to you when they need that support, when they need that, um, you know, I I think of every stage of life like this, when they need that uh, moment, you know, when an 18 month or so old starts to walk and they start to walk away from you and they get 20 feet away from you and for them, they're out in the big big world all by themselves, right? And they turn around and they come running back to you and they just hug you for a minute. And then they get that feeling of safety, that reassurance. And then they turn around and they try to go back out again. You know, it's like knowing that um, even if she's struggling in college, that she'll come to me when she needs that hug, that reassurance, that support, that you got this. And then she'll go back out and she'll do it again. And, um, and that she'll be okay. And she'll... You know, um, it'll be what it is for her. You know, I did the best that I could. I screwed up plenty, you know, and, you know, she'll come back and she'll remind me of when I screwed up <laughs> or if, even if I'm screwing up in the, in, the, in, the, in the present. I love when she was about 16, 17, she was telling me about something going on at school and I was saying, well, did you talk to your counselor? Maybe you should talk to the teacher. Have you? And all of a sudden she stops. She goes, oh my God, Papa, I forgot to tell you. There's this girl at school and she got into this big problem at school and um, she was telling her parents about it and her parents were like, oh, you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. And she was getting angry and angry and angry at her parents. And I said, well, yeah, because she didn't want them to fix it. She just wanted them to understand or to listen and then i stopped and i go oh wait the girl is you isn't it and she goes yeah could you just listen i love wow that's an aware kid that, she was very aware and able to tell us when we were messing she up she went yeah. third person on you <laughs> well, i know it was great it was precious oh i love that I, I i i love when my when my kids teach me something yeah it's just Quick story about uh, Lily and I were uh, at a restaurant outside recently and a, and a car came ripping through uh, on the street and it startled, you know, Lily. And she leaned in towards me and the, the, the car left and I, I'm now more aware. I go, okay, so that's that was scary. So yeah. let's acknowledge that. And that was scary. And I wonder how you're feeling right now. And, and 
she we worked through that and i said you know when when she was in more of a complex said what there's a term for that when it when it, the sound comes at you and it and when it goes away it dissipates away and i speak to her with my full yeah, vocabulary right. right and i said what is that what is that what is that word she goes that's the doppler effect <laughs> and i went and, and that's from my abc's book of science I'm like Oh my, my goodness, gosh. my kid is telling me about the Doppler effect at three. So, you know, they're sponges, they're getting everything, yeah. but they're also, they're wonderful teachers if we have the presence of mind to say that we can learn from everyone, yeah. even our kids. Yeah, and, and we can, and that's, that's, a, that's so precious. You know, one of the things that's beautiful about that and what, you know, this my story with Alex and, you know, some of the kids are is that how blessed are we in this generation that, number one, um, we have information out there that our parents didn't have. And number two, we have the time, you know? I mean, both my parents worked full-time and often worked a second job. And so they weren't around. They didn't have the time to sit and spend with us the way I get to got to spend with Alex or Abraham or the way you get to spend with Lily. You know, we're so busy with our careers and our lives that, you know, the idea of taking 20 minutes out and just, you know, whatever, doing that things with your kid is just, um, it doesn't occur to some people. And some people, they still today don't have time for it. And it's not that they don't want to be the kind of parent that we're hoping parents can be. It's that they don't have the time. You know, um, I feel extremely blessed. You know, one of the things that we try to emphasize at Play Mountain is like, slow down, slow your life down. You know, that stuff that you're really working so hard on, is it really that important? Because for me, I remember when Alex was four and a half and I did this partly as a parent at Play Mountain, partly for the other parents. I was sitting there going, you know, 25% of her childhood is over. It's gone. I can't get it back. I can't get three years old back. I can't get two years old back. It's gone. So you better make it worth now. And by the time they're, you know, 50% at eight, nine, and sometimes even sooner, they're looking beyond the family now. They're looking for their friends. They're looking, and then, you know, 12, 13, 14, you're lucky if you can get them around to have a conversation. They want to be gone with their friends all the time. So these first years, especially, um, are so precious and they go so fast. I mean, Lily's three and a half, three. Yeah. 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 Three and four months. Yeah. yeah. So that's a huge part of her childhood, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's so true. And I need to keep reminding myself that even at, at 60 years old, yeah. right, where that all of that ambition that I had at 28, 29, yeah. 35, I gotta go, go, go. And, right. you know, uh, I still have that ambition, but it's from a, a different place and thank God I'm at a different station in my life where I can, I think I can slow down a little bit. I still yeah. have three businesses going on at the same time, but that's neither here nor there. But, uh, but that's the, that's the, um, the dance, isn't it? It's trying to figure out how do I, you know, keep all that ambition that I have and still find a way to be, to have time and presence with Lily yeah. and Laura. Right. And, and, and for me, it's the joy that these things give me joy in my life and my family brings me joy and so then certain things are going to need to be sacrificed right and then so then i really look at what are the priorities of my life and i think so much of 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 being a parent is is it worthy of my time to make it a priority and i've really come to realize that what how i invest the time 
and really the quality of time, yeah. the presence, the slow down of time, is an investment I'm making towards not only that child, my child, but it's in my relationship and it's our relationship. Yeah. And my goodness, I've lost, I, 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 if I could wind the clock back, I would, I would do it differently with my older kids. Yeah. And I can't wind the clock back. Right. So I can accept what is, I can accept, to your point, I was doing the best I could with what I knew at the time. And now it's a question of what's the relationship I want with them. Because that relationship, can I can springboard that relationship mm -hmm. in real time and build on whatever the foundation was. It could right. be shaky ground, but it's still something. Yep. And how do I, what's my intentionality with that? And I think so much of what, my focus is with, and the intentionality of this podcast is to say it's never too late with our kids. No. And it's never too late to listen. It's never too late to say, I'm sorry. It's never too late to hug them and love them no matter. It's what never too stating. late to connect. Yeah. yeah. Just to connect. Yeah. You know, you think of, you can have um, moments with virtual strangers where in that two minutes, you're listening to that stranger or you're connecting with that stranger, and it can actually change. The, the rest of your day, right? You, it, you just feel good. Yeah. And so, yeah, when you're doing it with people that you absolutely adore, you know, and you love, it's even better. But I'm also so aware of what's really present in with our younger kids today, and this is this the suicide rates that are. And I don't know if it's it's more than it has been in the past, and we're just more aware of it, and with social medias and things. But I'm I've got friends and i know if i hear that that their son just killed themselves yeah and i just you know my my mother killed herself and so i have a direct relationship with that and i i, I can't even imagine my kids being to that point where they would feel so lost or so forsaken or whatever yeah. it is that they would say i i can't be here anymore and i just I don't know what to do about it, but I certainly know that we need to really be present with our kids and, and know what's going on because we get blindsided. I mean, there's definitely depression out there that would be there no matter what, right? I mean, the, you know, the kind of depression I'm thinking of when I say that is, I remember working with a young man who said to me, sometimes when I hear that somebody has cancer, I wish I could just take it from them because then I would know that this pain I wake up feeling every day would be gone, that there's gonna be an end to it, right? Because he had told me he wakes up every day and the first thing that goes through his mind is, I just wanna die. What bothers me is that there's a whole bunch of other kids out there that are suicidal or having suicidal thoughts simply because they don't have connection. They don't have relationship. I mean. That child, that first child I was talking about, it doesn't matter how connected you are or how he's got something chemical in him going on that he just cannot, you know, he could be absolutely joyfully happy with you right now. And as soon as the moment ends, right back into depression. I mean, I think that's what you see with people like Robin Williams and, you know, even, um, what was the guy, the, the food guy, Anthony yeah, Bourdain, Bourdain. Yeah, that, that kind of, you know, they had everything in, in, in our eyes, right? But inside there was that just probably chemical type depression. There's just something in their body that just brings them down immediately. There's an awful lot of kids that I worked with that just want somebody 
to connect with, you know? They just want somebody to believe in them. They just want somebody to pay attention, to notice them, to be excited for them when they do well, to be have their arm around them when, they, when they're struggling, you know? And that's, that's, if numbers are going up, I think a lot of it has to do with that. Do you think you can change the chemical ecosystem inside someone with, with connection and, and with that type of presence and love and support? You know, I think, I think you can to an extent. I think that, you know, like, um, you know, they do, there is some drug therapies that for some of that first kid that I was talking about that just wakes up every morning and that's just, it's just there. I think certainly the connection can help. It certainly can help. Um, but I, something like that, I think you really do need to do. There's got to be a lot of, um, there's got to be other stuff, good therapy, probably some medication type. Because if it is a chemical thing, you've got to kind of help them alter the chemicals in the body. Um, and, you know, we know that there are certain things, you know, like physical touch. You know, when I was at the high school that I worked at, I used to tell the kids all the time, physical touch, exercise, watch what you're eating, you know, your, your diet, but the, the physical touch and exercise, you know, they've shown that exercise can be, you know, as beneficial for depression as, as the um, medication, you know? So if, the, if you don't want to take medication, then you need to exercise. And I remember reading stories about people who are really severely depressed and she, she was saying she was, she started running and she noticed you get that runner's high and it would lift her spirits for yeah. some time. Right. And, and she said she got to the point where she was having to run six, six miles a day, twice a day in order to keep herself from that depression. So, I mean, maybe somebody like that, a little uh, medication would help too. But, um, you know, physical touch. You know, I was reading this thing uh, a few years ago. It said like, um, if somebody's upset, especially depressed, and you hold their hand, you know, we have this limbic system, right? That, you know, manages our emotions. If somebody is upset and I'm calm and I like hold your hand, after about five minutes, my limbic system takes over your limbic system and helps calm you. And they were talking about how that's why like when you're in a hospital and you're holding the, the patient's hand in the hospital, they do better. And so, you know, um, the young man I'm mentoring now, you know, has not had physical touch a lot in his life. And, you know, um, it's only when he's been really, really upset and crying that he's allowed me to put my hand on his back or something like that. And every once in a while I'll go, come here, I'm just gonna hug you. I said, I'm gonna hug you because you're talking about feeling down again. And I, like I've told you, physical touch is really important, right? Um, some of the kids at, at the high school, I'd say, look, here's the way the hug works. You're gonna hug me and I'm gonna hug you back. And I'm not gonna let go until you let go. And some of the kids would be like, quick hug, I can't handle this. Other kids, you know, not only would they be hugging me, just the hug, they'd, they'd break down just sobbing, mm. right? And I'd be holding them for three, four, five minutes, right? And, and I think that's the other thing with our kids. We have to constantly be touching our kids. And one of the things that I talk about, the biggest mistake I think I made with Alex as she was growing up was when she would get really angry and be upset. You know, she'd be lying on the floor, you know, five feet from me, you know, telling me to leave her alone. And then, you know, and just, you know, I hate you. You're the worst dad in the history of dads and all this stuff, right? And, you know, and I just let her get through it. And sometimes it was, you know, when she's saying things like, you're the worst dad in the history of dads. 
it's hard not to want to laugh. Right? Had, she, had she done research on that? She, she pulled all the dads out there. Yeah, right? she said, You're I the mean, poster child. Joe. I mean, she was really big on the, uh, the this is the worst, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I remember one day she got, she didn't get her Netflix video. Didn't come in the mail. This is the worst day of my life. I'm like, oh my God. Right. You got a pretty best life, blessed life. If that's the worst day. But, um, so anyway, one day she was really upset like that. And I just, I just was, sitting there and I said, Alex, come here. She said, no, I don't want to. You're over there. I know. Just come here. Why? I don't want to. You're mad at you and you, or I'm mad at you and you're, I know. Just, just come here. And she finally came over and I just grabbed her and hugged her and I said, what is happening for you? And she just broke down crying and sobbing. said, I don't know. I just can't. And in that moment, I thought, this is what I should have been doing for the last eight years when she'd have these emotions. It's just getting closer, touching her, holding her, because, you know, in some ways, I think in the moments I was thinking, well, I'm going to help, I'm going to be here, but I'm going to help her figure out for herself how to self-regulate. When maybe had I hugged her, she would have realized, oh, when I get touched, when I'm upset, I can self-regulate. I don't know. But um, yeah, those things are important. Yeah. and, And I think, well, what if you know, what if touching isn't your thing? Yeah. You know, what if I, I, it makes me uncomfortable to touch? I, that that would, because I'm a very kinesthetic person. I, I'm the first to give right. you a big bear hug and love you up. And um, But I, I would imagine that must be challenging for yeah. those that, that yeah. don't have that comfort level, I guess. Yeah. You know, in their own skin. And it also, it, yeah, some people just are not comfortable comfortable with it. And it also brings up like those who are uncomfortable with it because, you know, they've been hurt by touching, you know, either, you know, spanked, um, physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused, all that kind of stuff that makes you kind of build that armor around you and don't touch me, don't look at me, don't notice me, you know, what they miss out on, you know. That boy, that's a whole another time. <laughs> oh my God, what, what, what's present there? I, I just have such empathy for kids today. I mean, I, there's always been empathy for children, of course, but with social media, with all of these things just thrown up in their faces constantly about comparison and how oh. am I doing? And, and I think then that, that, that translates to our, uh, we as parents too, you know, what my, that kid is getting this and why aren't I doing that for my kid? And what, right. what does that say about me? And at some point, I hope, God willing, and the crick don't rise. <laughs> we all just start uh, accepting ourselves for we're doing the best we can. You've said it early yeah, on. Doing the best you can. Yeah, yeah. And and I truly believe there's a karmic dynamic to all this too. You know, we all come here, I believe, to learn lessons, and we're all given different scenarios to learn those lessons. And so then the question becomes. How well am I learning it? How many yeah. times do I need to repeat the same lesson over? And I, I, I do go back to those that where touch is not, it's just so foreign to them yeah. that my encouragement would, to anybody we are talking to, would be start with a fingertip, start with the, you know, start with the smallest of connectivity mm-hmm. um, or just gaze, eye contact, eye yeah. contact yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean that... Um... You know, you did that communication skills workshop, and the, and one of the ways you help somebody um, who's in the midst of a lot of emotion is just eye contact, just sitting there, 
present with them and looking at them. You know, I, there's another study I read about people go through trauma, right? And they had three people do three different things. One person would come in every week and write out what their trauma was. The second person would come in every week for six or seven weeks and speak their trauma into a microphone. And the third person would come in every week and speak their trauma to another person sitting across from them who never said a word, right? And, you know, writing it out was very helpful. Talking it out into a microphone, into a tape recorder was more helpful than writing it out. And the most effective was talking it out with another caring person just looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah having that, that, that sense of community. Yeah. That I'm not alone here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such a, I, I, I always come back to my two kids and what I want for them. And I just want them to feel a love of themselves first and foremost, you know, that they can feel worthy to then put one foot in front of the other and go aspire to and conquer whatever, whatever those dreams and, and aspirations they have. And, um, my two older kids, they haven't found that inspiration yet. And I found it early because, you know, when, when you lose both your parents, by the time you're 14, it's like you sink or swim. Yeah. And I went into survival mode mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm going to go find happiness out there. I'm going to find all of those things to the best of my ability. And that really is what drove me in so many respects and still drives me today. But and, you know, it's funny because you were saying what you wish for your kids. And, you know, one of the things that that keeps coming through my my uh, mind when you're saying that and, and watching you and listening to you is that what you want more than anything else is you you wish that you had been the dad that you know that or that you know that they deserved. And, um, you know, you wish they had the dad that they were worthy of, right? Mm -hmm. They were worthy of having a, a dad and you were struggling yourself, right? You know, you're still dealing with, you're, seriously, if you lost both your parents by the age of 14 and you're in survival mode and you're doing everything and you're not only surviving, but you're thriving, you know, and I'll just say it this way. And these little fuckers don't appreciate <laughs> everything I'm doing for them, right? And And then, you know, it's funny because with that boy Abraham, I remember um, when he was about 16, um, his mom was saying to him, you don't how, know how lucky you are. I didn't even get to grow up with my brothers and sisters. I had to live with my grandparents. You get to be with your brothers and your sisters and all that stuff. And he said to her, because after six years of hanging out with me, he's saying, well, that sucked for you. He goes, but that doesn't mean I can't want more. He goes, I asked Joe for stuff all the time. And sometimes he says no, and I hate him for it. But, you know, that it's okay. I mean, I mean, hate him for it in the moment. Um, I can still ask for it and want it. And, you know, your listeners won't be able to see this, but I, I really think it's like, you know, um, growing up, we got, say, a level five of parenting. And so we really wanted a level nine, right? Well, now we're, we're, we know what that felt like. So we're giving our kids a level 14. Well, they can't even imagine what a level nine is because they never had a level nine. They only know a level 14. So guess what? They want a level 18, right? So and it's this kind of thing. It's like... Uh, you can't win in that sense, right? You can never, um, you're always going to want more. That's just part of the human condition. You know, you could spend every day of your life with your child and do everything you could and everything. 
And it still won't be enough, right? There's still going to be needs that aren't met and wishes that aren't fulfilled. And that's just part of life. Yeah. You know, as I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm flashing back on my parents and giving them, affording them the same latitude if they were doing the best that they could right. with what they knew at the time. And uh, it, it makes it easier for me to more purely love them yeah. and just say, I, I can express my compassion for them knowing that God only knows what they were going through, you know? Mm -hmm. And when, when we, when I give someone else that latitude, what immediately I feel inside of me is just a greater peace and, and almost like a surrender of holding on to whatever that baggage was, let it go. And just, because at the end of the day, I then have a better experience. I can come more present and then go approach whatever's in front of me. Like here we are in this room. Mm -hmm. I'm more present here because I can say nothing else from the past matters and let it go as best we can. And then can you give that gift that you give your parents to yourself? Oh, no, let's yeah. not get crazy. So <laughs> let's not get out of control here. Yeah, you know? Right. I, I know. You did the best that you yeah, did, yeah. given everything that was going on in your life and yeah. that you were dealing with, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I. that's a punctuation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to be considered and 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 yes well joe i so appreciate your time your wisdom your expertise i i applaud you for the work that you do uh, you. you are a true servant of i truly believe our humanity because we we you're loving these kids in a way that they're going to become better better adults and better human beings and that's what it's all about you know and you realize that's really what Play Mountain was founded for, right? Play Mountain and schools like it throughout the world were founded as a response to World War II. You know, that people started thinking about how do we raise kids that can resolve conflict? How do we raise kids that can be in touch with their emotions and not let their emotions rule their behavior? You know, and that's really what it was all about. And, you know, especially today, you know, with what's going on in the world, you realize, wow, it's, it's more important than ever. Well, you are a living demonstration of it, thank and you. I thank you, and uh, I hope all those listening, you, 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 you got something that you can take with you and, and work with and nurture, and uh, again, Joe, thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. It. All right, all to right. be continued. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode today, you can find out more about me and the work I do, along with my guests, at nicksiegel.com. Thanks for listening. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode today, you can find out more about me and the work I do, along with my guests at nicksiegel.com. Thanks for listening.